this is the part where we start participating in the answer to our prayer. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. God clearly funds us with oil. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Uh, you know, it's really important. We talk about it all the time. We're trying to learn how to read Scripture. And it's very simple, of course, reading Scripture on one hand. But on the other hand, it can be very complex, and there's a lot there. It's one of those things that uh, one of the early church fathers said that Scripture is uh, deep enough, you know, for a, a, an elephant to drown in, and it's shallow enough for an infant to wade in. It's any of us have access to wherever we are in life. Uh, but it's very important to pray as we read. And so appreciate Justin's prayer ahead of time to, that God would speak to us through his word. It's important to pray while we read. And then it's important to pray after we read and say, Lord, help me uh, take this word into the world in my heart as you have planted it there like a seed. And so that's what we're doing. So um, we have many, many, many capable musicians, and then we have many, many other people who aren't necessarily musicians, but who could do this better than me, but just to illustrate that anyone can do it, and that prayers are sometimes best sung. It's okay. You know, I know you all sing when the windows are down and you're driving in your car, so just, this is just to prepare us if at any point we want to spontaneously pray during the sermon this morning, okay? Or if I see if we're all falling asleep, we can pray. So here's the prayer, all right? Here's the prayer for you, and you all know it, or you've heard it, or you, you have a faint memory of it, okay? And please don't judge me. I have no idea what key I'm in. <clears throat> Mm. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Come on, somebody clap or something. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. That's good. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Okay, that's it. Anyways, no more singing. But uh, for, for me, but you can sing anytime. And that's a great prayer. And I think that prayer... Uh, which I never realized came from this text that we're studying today. And so it serves as a really great prayer for us as we respond to this word. So if you don't hear anything else, say, yeah, Ryan just told us to write down the prayer, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. And that was it. You take it home, write it on a card, put it on your pickup dash. It's a wonderful response to this text in Matthew's gospel. So like in other places in Matthew's gospel, you know, we've spent the last year, since the beginning of Advent last year, the majority of our sermons have come from Matthew's gospel. So we have seen other times where it seems like Matthew is telling us to pray, but then he's reminding us that we participate in God's answer to our prayer. That it's not just I detach and say, God, you fix it. But I pray, and then I begin to work with God. I cooperate with God and realize the answer to my prayer. That's part of how our prayers work. So we're going to see that again today, that we're going to pray, but then God's going to say, okay, now let's work together, and let's realize the answer to this prayer. Let's participate together in the answer to this prayer. So the story that Justin read for us uh, is a great parable, allegory, and it's really shaping up to be just a great, moralistic, good old-fashioned children's sermon where we just do a little better and share a little more, right? Can you hear it starting out? It's like, okay, there's these five 
foolish girls and then these five wise girls. The wise girls have plenty of oil. They show up to the party with the right amount of oil. They did what they were told. They brought their invitation. They RSVP'd. They did all the stuff. And then the foolish girls, they just kind of didn't really take it that seriously. And it's their turn to show up and they go, dang it, we're out of oil. Uh, hey, wise girls, can we have some of your oil? And of course, you can imagine the story that Jesus would say, tell the story and say, oh, sure. How about we give you half of our oil and then we'll all have enough. That's not what the story says, right? They say, no, we're not giving you any of our oil because that would be ridiculous and it would be embarrassing because if we give you our oil, then when the bride and the groom come walking in for this great wedding feast, this great party, we're basically here at the sparkler send-off and we don't have a sparkler. And nobody has a sparkler if we give you ours. So that's ridiculous. It's all going to be half burned and burned out. So the bride and the groom are going to walk into their party, the party of their lifetime, in the dark. And that would be shameful because we're supposed to celebrate them, right? So that's the way it worked in the culture. You know, they, they had the wedding, which really started with the engagement. So they were betrothed to each other, and they were legally married, and everything was good. And so then, but when it was time to take the next step, then it was a often week-long celebration. And so they went on pilgrimage from the wife's, the, the future wife's house, her family's estate, they would walk together to their new house that they built together, which was in the, within the fence of the father's house and all that good stuff. So it was this great procession, and it was just a, a week-long party. I mean, it was a ton of fun. In some Arab cultures, they still do this today, and it's just a big old party. So our job is to be there and to hold our lanterns and say, hey, way to go, y'all. We're pulling for you. Way to start your marriage off right. And, you know, we don't want our lamps to run out of oil. So anyways, somehow the door is shut and the five foolish girls don't get to go to the party. And that's it. That's the end of the story. And it's kind of abrupt. And the bridegroom, in fact, says, uh, yeah, I'm the bridegroom and I heard you say my name, but I have no idea who you are. So I can't open the door. The door's locked. So sorry. See you later. We're off to party. And it's, that sounds kind of sad. It's like, dang, they missed out. Half the girls miss out on the party. This is a bad deal. So it's an abrupt ending. It kind of wakes us up. It gets our attention like so many of Jesus' parables. And we want to be like the five wise young women in this parable, in this allegory. That's who we want to be. So how do we do that? How do we be like the five wise young girls? And, and what is Jesus really teaching us here? What's going on in this story? So at first read, when you just hear it the first time, it's clear. A couple of things are very clear. The first thing is clear is you want the groom to recognize you. I mean, you want to be recognized by the bridegroom. That's, that's of critical importance or else you're not getting in. The second thing we realize is it's important to be ready. There's this language of readiness, right? They fall asleep, but then the, the call goes out, wake up, and they wake up and they're alert and it's time to go. So it's, we want to be awake and we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. We want to show up to the party with plenty of oil in the reservoir, all right? You want to go on the camping trip with plenty of fuel for your camp stove. That's the deal. You want to be ready. So you take a little more than you think you need because uh, you don't want to be out there and get hungry. So what does this look like? I mean, what's going on in this story? And when we ask that question, we're trying to figure out a parable. We're trying to figure out what Jesus is saying to us. It's important to just pay attention to that immediate context. What's just evident that anyone could read and it just has a piece of English literature, what is going on in this story? That immediate passage, verses 1 through 13, it's a paragraph. What's going on? And there are some things that are evident to us at first glance. Uh, Tyler's pulled up here for us, and, and it's a little hard to see it perfectly, but if you could see down in the bottom part of the window, 
you can see we have one of the we have a young a young woman from the story inspired by the parable, and below that are the words "Be ye also ready." Be also ready. This stained glass window is a stained glass window in a church that we served right out of seminary in Abilene. Uh, and it's, it's just like our stained glass window is our big good shepherd window. It faces east where we see it. Uh, this one was the same way. It was at the back of the sanctuary through the narthex. And you could see it from the road and you could see it from inside the sanctuary. And it was a very orienting thing. I walked in. I remember the first time I saw it and it said, be ye also ready. I was like, oh, man, that's going to be a good one to look at all the time. When you're up here leading in ministry, you, you want to see that. Remember, hey, it's important to be ready. It is important to be ready. This was a stained glass window that was made, and it was actually originally in San Angelo in the late 1800s. And then when we remodeled the sanctuary at Elmwood West, they brought it. This church had burned in San Angelo, and so they took it, and they saved the window, and we installed it in uh, there at Elmwood West. I mean, I didn't install it, but it was installed there in the back of the sanctuary. Cut a big hole in the brick just to make it fit. It was a beautiful, and it just kind of became the icon for me of those early years of ministry. Be ye also ready. So we see that. We realize that readiness is important. So it's, a, it's that wake-up call. It's a great primer for the season of Advent, which is the ultimate wake-up call, right? It's time to start over. No matter where you've been or how sluggish you've been or where you're at, now is the time to wake up. It's an opportunity for anyone to get on board waking up. So we see that. That's a good thing. We learn that from the text. <clears throat> and then if we expand out to the immediate context, chapters 24 and chapters 25, we have what scholars have labeled the parables of judgment. So that sounds like fun, right? But we believe as Christians in a judgment. This is actually good news. We believe, we say it in the creed all the time, that Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, the quick and the dead. This is a good thing because if Christ doesn't come and judge evil, then a lot of the work that we're asked to do in this world is going to be really frustrating because we work and we work and we work and we see injustice and the promise we hold on to is at the end of the day, everyone will answer for those deeds of injustice. And Christ says they will not go unpunished. So I'll come, there will be a judgment. So it, it's, it, yeah, it makes us wake up. It, it helps us rub the sleep out of our eyes and realize that we've all got work to do. And uh, you can't do my work for me and I can't do your work for you. But we work together and we encourage each other. And this is a great thing. So we want to be ready. And we want to be ready at the judgment. The language in chapter 24 is about obedience and responding to Christ, responding to God, being ready. Noah is invoked as a reminder that, hey, if, they t if God tells you to get ready, even if something crazy like build an ark, you should do it because judgment's coming and it's not going to be pretty for those that are left uh, outside the ark. So we want to be in the ark. We want to be ready. We want to be rescued in that way. And the cross emerges in this part of the story as the way that we're rescued. So we know that's part of the deal. And then in chapter 25, is all about using what we've been given for God's glory, right? Using what we've been given to serve Christ. So we see that there's obedience and readiness in the immediate context. And then, because we see pretty quickly, like I was reading this, I'm going, okay, clearly the lamp is important. And the oil is a big deal. Because the whole thing, it just keeps talking about lamps and oil and lamps and oil and lamps and oil. I'm like, I have no idea what the lamps and the oil are. And this allegory and this parable, this makes no sense to me. Uh, but then you expand it to, let's just open it up then to the whole book of Matthew. All right, you know how authors do this when they're telling a good story? I read a novel recently, and the author did this so well. He, just, he brings back these little phrases all throughout the book, and you go, oh, yeah, that's important. So what does Matthew do with light? Remember, remember the Sermon on the Mount? What does he say? He says, you, y'all, 
the church, my followers, are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, or put the, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father is in heaven. Okay, so light is synonymous with good works in Matthew's gospel. We get that. The light shines, the good works shine, and people glorify God. They don't glorify us. They don't say, oh, wow, look at the great works of that person or that church. But they say, wow, isn't God great for the great things that are happening through, in and through those people? Uh, There's a little more helpful evidence at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, it's really important to hear the word, but it's really important also to do the word, to obey the word. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them or performs them, acts them out, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, so we have two people building a house, great effort. We have one person that ends up building on rock and a good foundation. We have somebody else that builds on sand and it doesn't turn out so well. So it's kind of like they had the lamp, but they ran out of oil. You build the house, it's a great thing. It's not a bad effort. It's just insufficient to stand up to the West Texas wind or whatever else is going to come down the road, right? So building on a rock, reservoir of oil, we start seeing some parallels. So this is helpful. You expand to the whole book of Matthew, and it really helps. Finally, it's helpful to take one step beyond that when you're struggling to try to figure out what is the oil and, and to take in the whole New Testament context, to take in the Old Testament, and then to look at Jewish literature, Jewish interpretation that Matthew would have been familiar with. We, we know he's writing to a largely Jewish audience, so that's important. And uh, we know from other places in the New Testament and other places in the Gospels that Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, hey, I've worked really hard to present y'all, the church, as an engaged bride to Jesus, right? I've worked really hard, so don't go, you know, this is why you can't do this stuff. You're engaged to Jesus. Don't do that. You're the church. You should live that way, right? This is the bridegroom. So we see that. We know that's out there. And another fascinating connection to oil that I'm so thankful to uh, a 1974 article by Paul Donfried writes this great article where he lifts out of the Old Testament an important connection to oil. So in the book of Numbers, they're going through the different offerings that we can bring to the, into the temple and the priests are bringing and things are going on and there's something called a cereal offering. Now the cereal offering is, like you might expect, has flour in it, but it's flour that is mingled with oil. And that phrase, mingled with oil, the, the rabbis of Matthew's time, they saw that mingling of oil as synonymous with you're reading scripture, right? You're reading Torah, you're reading God's word, but you have to sprinkle the reading of the word with oil. You have to mingle it with oil. And what they meant was you have to mingle it with good works. Right? We think about that. So study and prayer and the captivation of our hearts critical. But if we don't mingle the reading and the study and the prayer with oil, if we don't mingle it with good works, then it's not getting us where we need to be. So the rabbis like to point that out and use that. So that gives a great interpretive key to what's happening in Matthew 25. The oil represents, at least in part, it represents good works. It represents the things that are happening, right? It's the things that we don't want to put a lid over, a lamp over, but we want to let let them light up the house. 
This also explains why the virtuous girls, the wise girls, can't share their oil, right? They're not just, they're not being mean. I mean, they're not being jerks about it. It's like, I would share with you if I could, but it's a reservoir that you can't get at an instant. Remember, they leave to try to go buy oil, and they come back, and they don't come back in time, and they can't get it done, because you can't just go buy a life's worth of good works, it just, you can't just have it on demand. It takes years. You're cultivating this. This is good works that are going. This is the, the reservoir of oil that Matthew's talking about, that Jesus is telling us about in the story. I can't transfer a, tram, a transformed heart and a life of good works to another person. You can't transfer a transformed heart and a life of good works to a person either. We are responsible for that. And this is the part where we start participating in the answer to our prayer. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. God clearly funds us with oil. Gives us the lamp. Gives us the oil. Starts the reservoir. And then we just continue that stream of oil coming by participating with a life of good works. And they mix together. And they work together. And we have a reservoir of oil. So when we fall asleep, and goodness knows it's easy to fall asleep, you're waiting on the bridegroom, and he doesn't show up, and it gets frustrating sometimes, Jesus, why, why is this going on, and why have you not returned, and why have you not made this ride, and what's going on, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm tired, and I've been working, and I've been praying, and I've been working, and I've been praying, and I'm tired, and what's going on, and we fall asleep on the side of the road, it's like every so often we can hear somebody call out, it's the bridegroom. Jesus is near. Jesus is present. He's coming. He's, he's close, and it's time to wake up again. And then we, and we go, oh, yeah, right. And we wake up, and we realize we didn't even realize it. We weren't even trying to do it, but we look down at our oil reservoir, and it's full because we've just been living and praying and working and crying and getting in the mix, and we, we hadn't got it all figured out, but we're in there. And that oil reservoir is full, and we, so we go knock on the door, and Hey, yeah, come on in. Glad you're here for the party. And we say, Lord, Lord. And you know, the, and then the people come along and they know the right language. They know the right prayer. Lord, Lord, I said, Lord, I said it in three different tongues. I said it in a charismatic way. I raised my voice. I sounded like a crazy preacher. I said it all the different ways. I know the prayer. But he's like, I don't see any oil. I don't know who you are. I don't, I don't recognize a life that's filled with good works. I don't see it. So... <clears throat> The immediate objection, of course, or, or question we should ask, we hear that and we go, well, wait a second, that sounds an awful lot like works righteousness. I thought we settled that a long time ago, that Christianity is not a works righteous religion. We don't gain access to God by being better and working harder. Of course not. Of course we don't do that. We know that we're saved by grace through faith. Even Martin Luther, who was like the champion of all things saved by grace through faith, he said in the preface to the Romans, it's very famous and widely circulated, he said, in the you know, 1500s, he said, look, if, if there is not fruit being born in the life of a believer, it's like if you don't see peaches on the peach tree, it might not be a peach tree. <laughs> He's like, if you don't see fruit being born in the life of a believer, then they're probably not a believer. If you don't see the works accompanying, if you don't see the oil mingled with the Bible study knowledge and the prayer language, if you don't see the works, then you might question what's really there. You might question what kind of tree it is. That's another thing that Jesus makes a connection to. 
And so Luther says that. I love the way that John Wesley said when he was talking about, he's trying to walk this line of works and grace and belief. And he said, you know, God never, ever would save us because of our works. God does not save us because of our works. But he said in God's economy is in a beautiful way, neither will he save us without our works. It's a great distinction. Our works accompany our prayers and our believing hearts as we wait for the coming of the Lord. And by the way, everyone was invited. Everyone had a lamp. There was no discrimination there. Everyone got the invitation in the story. It was just the difference was the reservoir of oil. That's the only difference. And so as we wrap up this morning, it's a time to rejoice that Christ has given us oil. He has given it to all of us freely. And he, he, he doesn't hold back. And the pouring out and the pouring out and the pouring out of oil. He was crushed on a cross. It's this image of an olive press. The oil is pressed out and is given for us. Christ has funded our ability to serve and to shine our light in a dark world. And Jesus is the light of the world. So our prayer, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, right? You write that down and you think about it and you put your own words to it. And mine this week sounds something like this. Jesus, you know, maybe you haven't prayed in a while. Maybe you find it difficult to pray. It's sometimes helpful just to say it out loud. Maybe you're driving down the road or you're by yourself or you're in your office and you're really frustrated and you close the door. Jesus, Give me oil in my lamp. Allow my good works by God's grace to participate in the answer, in your answer to my prayer. Make me a person of virtue. Show me the places of need in our world. Open my eyes to the good that I can do. And give me the strength and the resources when called upon for oil. When it gets really hard and when many are asleep, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me ready. Keep me burning. Help me dig out a reservoir of virtue. Always ready for your work and your return. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.